Bear episode 80, the Daniel Vladar episode, the only number 80 in Bruins history. I am Evan Marinovsky, alongside Connor Ryan, who is on location. Connor, inform the people, where are you broadcasting from today? Evan, once again, I am from, uh, I am broadcasting from a place that, again, I usually love to, to be at, Dunkin' Donuts, but again, circumstances are less than ideal. Uh, yeah, it's always funny when we talk about this, like, hyped it up, like, it's, like, live from the Comedy Cellar. It's, like, Connor Ryan, like, live from the friggin' Dunkin' Donuts parking lot in Marlboro, Massachusetts. But that's where I am. The water heater in our apartment exploded and flooded everything. So we are, uh, improvising today, and I am, I had my coffee, I had my wake-up wrap, so I'm ready to go now. Trudging ahead with less than ideal circumstances. How are you, Evan? Uh, I'm doing better i would say uh but at the same time you had a coffee and wake up wraps and you're it seems like you, this is the worst of it right you're 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 on the way back up now it feels like in a sense. I, so. I would certainly hope so evan i would certainly hope so the dunks see you got to get a dunk sponsorship at some point like they got to sponsor you one of these days you're broadcasting from you're doing remote shows like you know how like a lot of radio shows will go and do shows like at like hurricane o'reilly's and yeah. all these different places you're at dunks we should do a co we should do a podcast at dunks like inside of the dunks next to like the old dudes sitting around at five in the morning having their black coffee or <laughs> you know just like you got in amongst the people i think we got to do this at some point. i mean why else do you think i pivoted to tiktok evan is try to get that that sweet sweet duncan endorsement money hasn't happened yet but we'll see what happens <laughs> Yes, but anyways, speaking of peop of teams or places that are out of place that are doing things from different locations, this is not Bruins related, but it's kind of funny. We can pick, poke fun at it. Um, the Coyotes came out on Thursday saying, or it was reported that they could be playing at Arizona State for the next three to four years, which is amazing. I, I think that is incredible. Uh, Arizona State is uh, opening up a new all-purpose arena for, I believe, gymnastics, wrestling, hockey, basketball, I would imagine, or if they have their own thing for that already. They but might for, have a, they might have a bigger and, arena for that, but yeah. I think they, I think they, I think they absolutely do. So it's, it's hockey, gymnastics, so other things. It'll be sick for the Arizona State hockey team, but for the Arizona Coyotes hockey team playing in front of a 3,200 seat arena, in on Arizona State's campus, basically, mm, not exactly what you picture for an NHL franchise. Yeah, I'm really glad that the NHL had that meeting with people up in Quebec City, and like I'm sure they mapped out a good presentation. Like, hey, we've got a really passionate fan base. The market's here is ready for it. We have a pretty brand new arena that last I checked held what about eighteen thousand, eighteen thousand spectators. Pretty good deal up here. Want to come up? And NHL was like, "Nah, man, we're gonna send we're gonna send the Coyotes who refuse to die to a five thousand seat like arena as like an, a, a guest in, in their place." Like, good good job, guys. The fact that that team is still sticking around in Arizona, if in a few years Austin Matthews doesn't go and sign with Arizona and give them some spark, some hope of life. What a waste of everyone's time this has been. Because if that happens sooner or later, they're just going to end up in Houston, uh, see how they do down there. But the fact that like this is being mapped out as a potential solution for them is just embarrassing. It's surprising? No. Considering all no. we've seen from the Coyotes where it's like they weren't even paying their, their bill to stay at their old arena. Uh, it, it's just a complete clown show there. So 
good to see the NHL is pretty much, you know, flipping the bird to Quebec City. But thanks, but no thanks with your brand new fancy arena. We're going to go to a, we're going to share a spot with a college. Good job, guys. Good job for the game. I check. I texted you and Ty this morning, and I said, am I the only one who would love to play at ASU for a few years, or am I just still 22 years old? And you said you were 22, 22. years old. Yes. So that is for, I think for younger players, playing at ASU will be terrific. I mean, geez, it's a hip-happening college new, environment. New facility at the very least, but sheesh. Yeah, no. For an NHL uh, franchise, absolutely not. I mean, even like – like what's crazy is that playing in any arena, college arena, is not great, right? Even like you know, Mullen Center's ten thousand seats, or like Yoast, or or like Minnesota's or North Dakota's, like they have these really state of the art facilities. But still, for an NHL franchise, no. <laughs> what are you doing? And it just kind of goes back to the whole fact of like what a complete mess that team is, and it's a, it's a incredible how bad of a mess it is, right? Because it's not just like. They're a good team that's fallen on some hard arena times and they're struggling for a place like this from top to bottom is just a shit show. So well, that's the thing, too, is when that news came out first, you're like, really? And then you have a pause, you collect your thoughts, and you're like, this makes sense. This is the Coyotes. Yeah, yeah this, this makes sense, right? Of course. Exactly. No, it's, it's this, I'm not surprised at all uh, that that's the case. I'm interested to see how turnout is for games. Because think about it. I don't know how far Temp is from, um, or Tempe, however you say it, is from, uh, where they are now. Glendale. Which is, yeah. they're in Glendale. I think it's somewhat close. It's but in still, the I'm... whole Phoenix metropolitan area, which if you've been through Phoenix, is a lot of just like strip malls and like raising canes, and that's all it really is. It's very flat. <laughs> it's not really a hip happening place. Maybe ASU is better, but. I've Christ. never been, but honestly, like. You're not missing I much, always... Evan. I always want to go during the winter because it's nice and warm there. But it is it is interesting, like, how they'll do – I wonder, like, there aren't enough seats to do, like, student nights, right? Like, if I'm a student on ASU's campus, granted I'm a hockey fan, I would want to go. But I wonder if they're going to have promos because there aren't even enough seats to do, like, hey, we're going to give ASU, like, a 1,000 tickets for this price. And then what do you leave for the rest of fans? Like, 2,200? I mean, it doesn't even make any I sense. I mean, l- let's be real, though. I'm sure there'll be plenty of seats available. Even if that team, like, falls ass backwards and gets Connor Bedard or one of these guys in a few years, uh, I don't think you're going to have a, a, a packed 5,000 uh, seat arena anytime soon. That's why, again... Either commit to going to Houston and see how that does, which maybe is a better spot, who knows, or you go over to Quebec City or something like that. But right now, it's just wasting everyone's time, trying to stick it out and hopefully wishing that maybe Austin Matthews arrives in a few years, which it's not really a good pitch when you're like, hey, Austin, you can go to Toronto, which, again, media, like, expectations, pretty tough on players. But how about you go back home and play in a 5,000-seat uh, arena? And t- attempting, somewhere- right? I saw somewhere it was less than 5,000. I saw that it was like 32. I th- I saw somewhere it was 3,200. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised by it. Make very intimate. Setting. I think it's, I think it's 3,200. That's what I'm seeing on Twitter. Now. So it's either 3,200 or 5,000. Either way, nowhere near enough um, for a, for a NHL arena, but incredible yeah. what's happening down there. The Bruins play the Coyotes, by the way. On tonight, technically, yes. Friday night. They their Friday last night, game so. in Glendale, probably. Yeah, in the Gila River Arena, or whatever the hell it's called. Um, which, again, they struggle to sell out there every night. Because uh, who would want to go watch that shit? Um, anyways, speaking of the Bruins are out, as I said, are out in this area. Played the Avalanche on Wednesday. Heartbreaking loss. Started on True TV. 
started with you know taking over from practical jokers uh and then they they go over to tnt but a tough loss up three to one in the third they uh, blow it in the last 10 minutes then obviously kill mccarr my guy just ends i was pumped <laughs> i was pumped um he scores the game winner in ot um but at the same time what are the silver linings you can take from this because again that abs team pretty good yeah, I mean, I think there's plenty of silver linings you can take away from it. I, I think most teams, if you leave Ball Arena with at least one point, it kind of constitutes a pretty good day at the office, right? I mean, Avalanche entered the game with 16-game home winning streak. Elite team, even without Nathan McKinnon, who has only played about two minutes of that game, uh, even without him in the lineup, you saw firsthand like, how skilled and elite that team can be and how they can pretty much dice up any decor you have out there. So I'm sure, yeah, you take some of the positives from it. Like Jake DeBrus still has, you know, been very, very solid over the last couple of games now, which is great. Not only in the fact that you've got a guy in the bottom six that's playing well, but also he's raising his trade value, which should make every single potty happy in this whole ordeal. Hopefully he gets <laughs> moved and you get a good return for him. Um, but even then, like, even if you want to focus on the positives, the way that game ended still like, it makes it a pretty crappy way to, to move on from it, right? Like not just the fact that you let two points slip away, but that could have been probably the statement one of the season, right? I mean, for the first two periods, the Bruins were executing very well in terms of not just obviously, you know, converting on their chances, but the PK looked good. Even though, you know, guys like Makar were getting shots, they were kept to the outside. They were slowing them down in the neutral zone quite a bit. Like as much as I think people have talked about the last few weeks about, Bruins need to make upgrades on defense and, you know, do they need like a guy like Chikrin or, or what have you for the first two periods, you saw how the Bruins can execute and how they can, you know, hold the row when they have all their guys operating as one unit of, you know, keeping them to the outside, slowing them down, getting two, you know, two guys on one skater crossing the blue line, things that you have to do to, to limit these teams. You saw that being executed. Then in the third, everything went away. Like the Bruins, like pretty much switched to like, prevent defense and like pretty much took their foot off the gas. And what do you know? Colorado came back and capitalized. And that's what good, te- that's what not just good teams, but elite teams do. That's more or less what I wrote about uh, post game is, you know, the Bruins, I think you can write up that, you know, they're still a very good team, the team that's going to be in the mix, as we've said before, but to get to that next tier, we're only, you know, Colorado and Tampa and maybe Florida, like where they are right now, you got to take that next step. And so for the Bruins, it's not letting, you know, a strong opening 40 minutes, you know, go to the wayside where you get one point out of it, you know, even without uh, like Linus Olmark and how he played, you're lucky you even exited that game with a point because he was just peppered over those final 20 minutes of that game. So uh, some good things here and there uh, in terms of making, you know, capitalizing on some opportunities you kind of played to your game really limited the Colorado strengths early on there but to have it end in that fashion of whether it be you know taking your foot off the gas or over that final you know uh you know when they pulled the extra skater and you're not able to get that clear Martians kind of pass or whatever it was whether it was a deflection goes into no man's land and they bury it right after that it's just a, a tough a tough hit for the Bruins when it should have been a really key statement win as much as I liked their game in the first two periods, doesn't this game kind of go back to how the Bruins have been in the past couple of years where they're this team and, and granted this, I, I kind of saw it as like a playoff series happening in one game, right? Where they start off hot. You look at, uh, you know, Tampa in seventeen eighteen and Tampa in nineteen twenty. they come out firing in the first game and the foot comes off the gas. 
And you look at the same with the Islanders. They won game one against them in, in this past year and, and looked great. And then the foot kind of slowly came off the gas. And it just felt like the same thing where they had the foot on the gas for the first two periods. And then in the end, they just couldn't finish it. And it feels like this is kind of a trend that this team has had um, over the past years. It's hard to compare a single game to a playoff series, but that was kind of what this reminded me of in that sense, where just they weren't getting it done. And I think that it's just an issue that they have. And I mean, the abs, I mean, man, they're a freaking good team. Like that's a team that should do a lot. That team should, yes, should, should, (laughs) should uh, be making a lot of noise uh, come the postseason. Doesn't mean they will, uh, but they should. Another big um, storyline coming from this game came immediately. Taylor Hall comes across the middle, kind of rings the bell of Nathan McKinnon, but on decapitates second, you know, first, him. If, you, if you're yes. on uh, Avalanche Twitter, you, you, yeah, you decapitated him on that play, Evan. I, I think you might have sent this to me. I like how the Avalanche tweeted when they scored a goal. They were like, that one was for Nate. It's like, you know, he's probably just got like he's a not, broken nose. Like, yeah, he's not dead. Jesus, yeah. guys. <laughs> but so uh, it looked scary upon impact. I mean, that was the oh, first yeah. happened. I was like, holy shit. Uh, turns out it was just an awkward collision where Nathan McKinnon's stick came and hit himself in the nose. Um, and that's kind of what caused the blood. And I would imagine, I haven't looked today, but I would imagine his nose is probably broken. Um, and I, and I understand Gabriel Landeskog's thing with that. I get it. Like that's your friend. That's the best player on your team. Like I totally get it. We would probably say the same thing if the, if the tails were turned, but I, I don't think Taylor Hall had to actually answer for it. There's no reason to drop the gloves for a clean hit. I don't know. And it was a fluky hit too. There's nothing he can do there. So interested to hear what uh, I know. I think you agree with me on this. Yeah. And I think, you know, through the first two periods of that game, I was ready to rip my hair out and who knew the game was only going to get worse once the avalanche came back. But through the first two periods, I was like, all right, the Bruins are on pace right now to have a statement win, snap Colorado's 16 game home win streak, a really, really strong performance. And half the narrative after this game is going to be Taylor Hall, not answering the bell for a, a hit that was, clean like the fact that he even served two minutes <laughs> was only because of that rule that you can't like fully rescind a major right like completely a really unfortunate circumstance of how it ended up but clean hit like and that's what most of the narrative was is like you know i saw like going into third like oh it's gonna be a a complete clown show because taylor hall didn't step up it's like no what actually happened was is colorado after taking that stupid uh penalty that eric johnson took they played to their strengths again and walloped the Bruins playing to their actual strengths <laughs> instead of going around and chasing on Taylor Hall. who didn't want to engage for again, a play that wasn't his fault. Like, and it's one of those things where, again, I agree with you, Evan, it's not the issue with like Landis Hogg defending his teammate. It, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago with Tuka Rask, where it's like, you can like agree on both sides and come to a rational conclusion instead of it being one drastically different thing, one way or, or the other, right? Like, Good on Landis Gog for like stepping up for his teammate, clean hit or not, what have you. Like it's what a captain does. Good to see. But also Taylor Hall didn't need to answer the bell there to to, to <laughs> fight him for for a sequence like that. Like both things can be right. And again, what do you know? Instead of the Avalanche, who as much as they've got you know some pretty big forwards, aren't a, a bruising team. They're not like you know the Washington Capitals or what have you. They're, that's not their style of play. Instead of chasing Hall around and getting away from their strengths, what do they do in the third? They looked at him like, all right, well, we keep on trying to cross-track the shit out of Taylor Hall and getting Bruins more power play chances, or we can outskate them and have them sucking win the whole third period. What do you think worked out pretty well? And at the end, and of course, like at the end of it too, 
uh, post game, Landis Scog, you know, talked to, gave what you'd expect, you know, oh, I got to step up for McKinnon, like, you know, whether it's a clean hit or not, stand up for him, which then people then take is like, you stood up for him and, you know, it, it energized the crew. It's like, no, they, they actually smoked the Bruins because they played to their strengths and won the friggin' game. Like that, that's yeah. what the actual consequence of it was. It's not that, you know, because they saw Eric Johnson like beating the crap out of Taylor Hall. Like, yeah, you know, this, this is how we're going to come back guys doing that, <laughs> putting the Bruins on the power play. That, that's how we do it. So yeah, it's just, you know, it's just frustrating of how like that narrative can't, you can't fall somewhere in the middle of like good on Landis for stepping up and good on Hall for not engaging because what the Bruins got out of it was a five on three where they scored two goals in what a minute and 10 seconds. So both things can be right. Like you, you can agree to that. Like it's not one drastic thing to give it. it didn't have to be a complete goon fest and the Bruins, you know, didn't have to just fully engage. Like you can settle on something in between. It's, it's not that hard guys. Why would Taylor Hall also take himself off the ice right. for five minutes in a winnable game in Colorado against a team that has a 16 game home win streak? Why would you, why would you take yourself off the ice for a clean, fluky right. hit? And, and you don't even fight. Like, what is the point? So, and, and I don't it, understand. It, and it's also one of those things, too. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, Evan. But, oh, like, okay. it, it's, like, one of those situations where people talk about, like, Landis Gog, And he's a good captain. He's a physical guy and all that stuff. But, you know, I saw people talking on the radio today. That, like, he's, like, this, like, big, like, fighter enforcer. No, he's not. Like, do you, I think some Bruins fan – tweeted out a thing of like early in his career where he was getting mixed up and Lucic wanted to like drop the gloves and he kept his gloves on. Like literally had him like holding him by the collar and didn't like answer the bell there. So where was the discourse there? Like you pick your fights, like Landeskog chased around Taylor all wasn't going to engage. And then what he shoved DeBrusque out of the, out of the crease at one point, really, really like, you know, padding, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like good, good on him for standing up for his teammates, but he's not, it's not Tom Wilson out there. Like, yeah, again, Good, good for him to step up, but let's let's be rational with all the narratives with a game like this. Which, when it comes to things like toughness, answering the bell, all that things, you can never get like a normal, like reasonable take. It's got to be one extreme or the other. Yeah. Also, fighting Lucic sounds miserable. Yes. Any way you put it, I would not advise. So I don't that play, I don't blame Landis Cog for uh, dipping out of Lucic there, but uh, pretty safe bet that the Bruins, uh, the Avalanche. You know, when, when you don't focus on fighting guys and stuff. You have a little bit of success. We're talking about real safe bets and real success. We talk about our good friends over at Bet Online. Right you are, Evan. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year and a new updated desktop and mobile website is here. So sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. That's CLNS50. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet Online. Evan, it's where the game starts. With the game starts, I'm surprised someone doesn't run up to the window and like you know, knock Dude, there on was it. Like the, there was an elderly, there was an elderly gentleman who was like right over here, and he like I thought he was peeking in. Thankfully, like it seems like the the screen is like the, the sunlight is is deflecting it, but like I thought he was gonna just be in the shot with me too. Which in that case, it would have to be the YouTube thumbnail of like me and my oh, friend. But he he's left. 
He is left. <laughs> We'd have to get his take on stuff, you know. Like he's definitely a I'm Bruins, sure it'd be horrible. Bruins watcher. I'm oh, sure yeah, it'd, it'd be a great. terrible take. <laughs> great takes from the elderly gentleman at Dunkin' Donuts. Um, before we get to JT Miller and some uh, interesting stuff you wrote about him uh, and the Bruins going for him uh, last week, I do want to get to some news around reverse retros because everyone's kind of been wondering – Bruins had a sick reverse retro. A lot of teams had really cool reverse retros. Where the hell are they? Uh, and NHL News at Puck Report NHL on Twitter reported the NHL reverse retro program by Adidas is set to return next season per Icelandics. Uh, this program, yeah, yeah, Icelandics are in Seattle. Uh, the program will once again involve all 32 teams with new designs, with some reportedly bending the definition of the reverse retro. Now, what I would imagine. <laughs> Is that there's a few teams who do not have retro jerseys, so there's nothing they can do about that. Uh, but what I will say when it comes to the Bruins, because other teams are other teams, Bruins had a nice reverse retro. If they brought back the same reverse retro, I would not complain at all. Yeah, I'm like already still surprised that they haven't brought those ones back. Like it's typical NHL, like big brain theory to be like, all right, we have these really unique unless you're like the right wet red wings really unique jerseys that we have <laughs> let's roll them out for a 56 game season where there's no fans in attendance where they'll pull they'll wear them what 10 games maybe if we're lucky maybe. and then get rid of them put them in yeah, like the disney yeah. vault like remember when you'd watch like the old <laughs> disney movies and they'd, they'd throw them in the the disney vault where you didn't even know what that meant that's where all the reverse retros are now because you can't buy them anymore i don't think so for the NHL no, one to just yeah for them to just scrap it after one year was ridiculous anyway. But it's I mean who who knows what the actual next design is going to be? Like I joked and said it was going to be the Pooh Bear, which I doubt it. But at this point, just bring back the the one they had for the the Lake Tahoe game. Like it was different enough. Like I don't really know. There's a lot of detractors with it. You had uh, you had Meth Bear back in, which was our, like a major plus, mm-hmm. right? So just bring that one back. Don't make it too complicated. You know, yeah, it's going to be like just an all black one or something like that, which would be terrible. It'd be like the yeah. New Jersey Jersey one. Yeah, or like the B jersey they wear this year. It's just like yeah. it's a, like that. Is, is there anything wrong with the jersey? No, but it's just like bland and so like bleh. And I think like it, it goes back to the past bunch of Winter Classics and outdoor games, except for Tahoe that they've had. It's all like you know, oh, let's harken back to like the twenties or the thirties or the forties. It's the same with these uh, B jerseys that they're wearing, and it's like. I wish – go back to the 80s and 90s look. Like that to me is what you should be aiming for. And the reverse retro did it really well and the yellow popped and the yeah. – just it worked. So I hope it somehow ties in with those jerseys. Um, if they change it a little bit, like fine. But don't divert from it. Like the reverse retro was sick. That was a sick uniform. Um, and it's sad that it just kind of like is gone. And you can't get them anymore. You're yeah, right. Yeah. My friend, it, my, those were, yeah. my friend was looking, uh, uh, one of my UMass friends, uh, his girlfriend wants to surprise him with like a Kale McCarr jersey. And initially she's like, can you find a UMass Kale McCarr jersey? And I said, no, that's like impossible. <laughs> yes. But, but, uh, but, uh, she, I was like, I was thinking like reverse retro for the abs. It was like the Nordiques logo, I think last year. And I was like, that would be so sick. And they're nowhere to be found on the, the NHL's website. Obviously you can find it on like, you know, some, website from like china or something like that but that's right. not reliable no. but for real stuff they don't have it so yes they are not selling those anymore so hopefully they go back to a normal reverse retro at least um or what they had last year i mean like i think a team like the ducks could use a whole new one remember what the ducks was where it was like the duck coming out of the corner of the jersey right, you know? yeah. 
Uh, like there are some teams that could definitely have some rebrands. Um, uh, D- Detroit one's going to be wild. It's going to probably going to be red and white and just have like a big D on it. That's all it's going to no be. Way. Yeah, they're, they're kind of stuck <laughs> in a corner, aren't they? They're they're in kind of a rough spot. I liked what Montreal did last year. They had blue jerseys. I was like, oh, that was, that was pretty sick. I'll give them that. So um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like when they release kind of these new uniforms. I just hope that they like do things logically. Um, which you can't really count on them doing all the time. Yeah. Uh, speaking of logic, JT Miller, uh, is a guy that a lot of people have their eyes on for the Bruins. It was reported, I believe, was it by Friedman that the Bruins were in on, uh, uh Sar- Sar- Valley had Sar- as a, a, someone kicking the tires of the Bruins along with Calgary, Minnesota, and New York. Yes. So kicking the tires. And I think the big issue with that is there's no doubt that JT Miller would fit here. He could be long term here. He would. Definitely be a good guy down the middle. The problem comes down to what are you trading for him? And do you have enough when you're going up against those teams like Minnesota and New York? I mean, what's the deal? Yeah, no, I, I think that's the challenge. And I don't think the return would be as much as, let's say, like Chikrin, where it's what Swayman starting with it. Like, I don't think you have to give up Swayman for it, but I think Sarah Valley said. You're looking at probably a first-round pick easily, a highly touted prospect, which I think for the Bruins, that's where it gets into, all right, what constitutes that, right? Like, are we looking <laughs> at a guy like Stadnika? Are we looking at a guy who's maybe who's risen, like brought his value up, like Vakaninen, and how valuable he could be? Or are we talking about, like, the crown jewels of the farm system, where it's Mason Lorai or Fabian Lysel or what have you? And Star Valley also said it could be, like, another guy on top of that, which, all right, if you're the Bruins, and let's say it's – a first DeBrusque, maybe, and like Vakaninen, do you do that? Probably, right? If it's for JT Miller, yeah. I, I think, I mean, I think that that one's, it's, it's where you, I think you involve, whether it's, you know, the, to talk about Chikrin or like a guy like Miller, where, where I think people get hesitant is what includes one of like the three guys, Swayman, uh, Lorai, or Lysel. Everything else yeah. I think is more or less fair game, right? Where it's all right. Whether it's a guy like Sinika, which I don't even know how much value who he ha- he has now. I mean, you'd think he'd be up in the NHL if there was. Like, you've got guys like Steen and Vakaninen who've brought their game up, and it'd be unfortunate. Like Vakaninen's playing very well, but again, part of the bigger bigger piece to get a guy like JT Miller, you do what you got to do there to make the most of this window, and also next year. I think that's why you know when I wrote about JT Miller, what his appeal is, is not just the fact that he's a point per game guy in Vancouver. Uh, 28 years old, but also you get him under contract next year at a pretty affordable deal too. So worst case scenario, Bergeron retires. You at least have one top six guy in the fold. And Bergeron comes back, you got Bergeron, Miller, Nosek, all those guys in place for at least one more year, which is a good, a good, yeah, Goyle, a good thing to have right there. So I think for the Bruins, it makes plenty of sense as to why you target him. It's all about what the cost is going to be because if – Again, if we mapped out, as I said, like DeBrusque and Vakanine in the first, then you, you go, all right, like, got a gift to get, but you got this guy in the fold. If it's Lorai or Lysel, then people go, all right. You know, but that's, I, that's kind of what you have to face when it comes to, you know, having this kind of all-in mindset. I was talking about this with Ty on Bruins Beat on Monday, and we said there are three untouchables. It's Swayman, Lorai, and, uh, and Lysel. There's no reason – those are the three guys you really would love to keep, right? You need some, you need a big, good skating left shot defenseman for the future. Low rise seems to be that. Lysel, good dynamic offensive winger, need that. Swayman, goalie of the future, need that. If it's for Chikrin, I wouldn't 
hesitate. I mean, not hesitate. That's the wrong word. I wouldn't, uh, I would think about giving up Lowry in a deal for that. Cause that's sort of like a future left shot defenseman for a current left shot defenseman, which yeah. you're trying to win now. So maybe that makes a little more sense. Uh, but for JT Miller, no. No, not for JT Miller. Um, carries an AAV of 5.25 million this year and next year. Then he's a UFA. Um, hopefully if you got him, you'd be able to keep him. Like, I think that would be ideal. Yeah. Sweeney's usually pretty good at that. Um, so again, I, it's interesting to see. I mean, the Canucks also like did take on the OEL contract. So like not to, you know, they're not the, the, the smartest team. Granted, they have a new kind of ownership or, or front office there yeah. now. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe you can get away with, you know, Vakaninen's raised his value a lot. It would help also, I guess, if Saboro was still not, uh, yeah. was still on the ice, but then maybe Vakaninen wouldn't be. So you have Vakaninen raising his status, Steen, um, DeBrusque is currently raising his status. So I don't know if Vancouver would jump at that. Um, yeah. but if you could, as you said, if you could do a first Vakaninen and DeBrusque, have a hard time not doing that. I mean, yeah. uh, that improves you. That gets, I don't know if that gets you to be like better than Toronto, Tampa, and Florida, like in the regular season, mm-hmm. but it gives you a way better shot against them in the postseason. And as you said, the hard truths coming with an all in mindset is you're going to have to part with some stuff you might not want to part with, but I still don't think you do the untouchables, right? Like we didn't talk, we've not talked about this. Swayman, you would not trade Swayman, right? I don't think so. I mean, even, even a guy like Chikrin, I think there's just maybe too much risk with that. And I know that sometimes goalies can be, they can vary from year to year. It's tough to like map out. Like you look at Kata Hot's first year, right? When he first came on the scene, you're like, oh, they can't trade this guy for anything. Look at like even Ha-ha. like, Binning- I don't know, damn it. Even like Binnington, <laughs> right? Where it's like you look at his game now and, and how it's dropped off. And again, you got a cup out of it. So good for St. Louis, but it's so tough to find like, a goalie that you can pencil in year after year after year and know you're getting very good to great value out of them year in and year out. It's so tough to find. So who knows if Swayman is that guy? Let's say you trade him for Chikrin. It helps you out. Like again, Chikrin helps you out in the short term and you've got a potential elite top pair for the next four or five years at the minimum, right? Maybe it helps you out. Maybe you win a cup, but say it doesn't work out and Swayman becomes a guy who wins two, three Vezinas and it's a what you know what could have been. And again, it all comes down to for what the plan is going forward. If Rask is you know one and done, then I don't think you're moving Swayman. If Rask comes back and is like, yeah, I want to play for another three, four years, and you've got Omar, then maybe you wait. It's not you're not moving a guy like Swayman for a rental like Hurdle. Even if I think rent, like you know Hurdle signs a contract with you, still still doesn't like warrant giving up a guy like Swayman, especially considering that. You're already going to be in kind of cap hell signing whatever mega deal Hurdle has. Miller's not worth it. Chickering, even then, guy who's had a couple of knee injuries, you know, it's so tough. Just like I could be convinced if you want to part ways with one of a guy like Lysel or, or Laura, if it's a legit guy that makes you better this year and in the years ahead. No guy like Claude Giroux or like a one-year, one-and-done guy, right? <laughs> but if it's someone that you can build as a foundational piece like Chikorin, who's 23, and he's able to stay healthy, then you consider it. But again, I think the Bruins are much more comfortable moving, even if it's another first-round pick, which I think when you're in this win-now window, you just make the most of it. You know, if you, as we've said, if you move another first-round pick and you give up Vakaninen and DeBrusque, but you keep uh, Lysel and Lorai and you add JT Miller, you won, you improve your team for this year, next at the very least, and you still have a few blue-chip guys down in the minors who are going to keep on working on their game. 
And again, who knows how these guys kind of pan out. It's so tough to kind of project how the farm system kind of develops. The Bruins could very well sign a guy like, you know, Mark McLaughlin as a UFA and he becomes a key cog. Like Oscar Steen has molded into a pretty effective NHL guy. Bakanainen, as we said, is now looking like a, at the very least, an everyday NHL player. So it's so tough to map out these guys. But if you give up another first round pick, I don't think it's the end of the world. If you add a piece that helps you out in the short term. That would be the most Bruins thing ever if they went out and got Mark McLaughlin yes. from BC. That would be the of most. Course. <laughs> obviously, which wouldn't be right a bad right. thing. Good two, good two way center works, right? I mean, you know, good bottom six guy potentially. Um, but yes, no, I, I, it's funny. I was just thinking about, uh, as you were talking when you mentioned Swayman, Swayman would be like, damn, I used to be in the NHL with the Bruins. Then they moved down to Providence. And then they send me to Arizona to Arizona play in State. Again. Yeah, Arizona State. Yeah. <laughs> Just get shafted. So yeah, going from you know the pros to the it's AHL. Brian Brian more fans at Alphon than he would at a poor oh, Arizona game. So. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Well, see, it's funny. Arizona State hockey is good. So like they will have fans. It, I guarantee you. I guarantee you. We're gonna be go back on this. And Arizona State will have more fans in attendance for Coy- than than Coyotes games. One hundred percent. I would way honestly. I would way rather watch an Arizona State college game than Arizona Coyotes any day of the week. Seriously, any day of the week, I would rather do that. Um, not just because it's my job, but because <laughs> but because I genuinely find it a little bit more interesting. Yes, I'm. You got to do a little bit of that. Um, just like my TNT tweets last night. TNT was perfect. It was great. I'd never seen a better TNT. Bro- I've never seen a better hockey broadcast ever. It was. 10 out of 10 perfect, in my opinion. Um, for the Good brand. job, Evan. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I did my thing for the day. Anyways, uh, Connor, before uh, we go, what can the people look forward to over at BSJ and the Dunks parking lot? <laughs> yeah, we will uh, continue, hopefully not from the Dunks parking lot, but I'll continue to uh, work <laughs> on a few uh, breakdowns we have from the Colorado game. We'll look ahead to the rest of the week. Uh, you got the Kraken coming here next week, which hopefully is a good Ooh. rebound game for the Bruins because that game could get out of hand in a hurry. If they lose that game, the Bruins, then it's not that great. But <laughs> you, you look at kind of their schedule here. They got some time off uh, in the days ahead. We'll probably do midseason report cards will be coming out. Uh, makes me sound like a teacher, but we'll probably be looking at that. A few <laughs> things assessing the state of this team kind of at the midway point. So all that stuff will be over at BSJ. So subscribe to BostonSportsJournal.com. Want to follow me on Twitter? You can do that at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Go do all that for CLNS Media. I'm F. Marinovsky. That's Connor Ryan of Boston Sports Journal. You poke the bear listeners. Have an awesome rest of your week. Uh-huh.